Community Spirit, the show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. You were just listening to Solar Carol from the Seattle Labor Chorus, Songs of Peace and Justice for the Holiday Season. If you want peace, work for justice. Sounds like a good plan. So, I have to put that in so they get their help. So, it is the holiday season. The sun is out. We are counting down. Wait a second. It's December. It's December. We're counting down. We have three weeks until there's no sun. Wait, and then it starts coming back. Yeah. So, less and less sun every day. And, of course, throw a party on the 21st to bring back the sun, because apparently if you don't have a party, the sun's not coming back. Yeah, it might just keep disappearing and go away forever. <laughs> we need that sun. Yeah. As today... You can tell. Today is like the perfect day, not only for solar power production, but also for me. <laughs> Today is cool yet sunny. Yeah, cool and sunny, so it's a perfect day for outdoor adventures as long as you're not... If you're running around naked, it might be a little cold, but <laughs> other than that, it's perfect. Well, let's unperfect people and yeah, tell them... Speaking of the warm temperatures... Uh, yeah, here we go. On thin ice. Rapid collapse of Antarctic glaciers 
could flood coastal cities by the end of this century. The more climate scientists learn about Antarctica, the more scary the place seems. Ooh. A new grist feature by Eric Holthaus dives into one corner of the frozen continent. Pine Island Bay. That sounds like it could be part of the title of some novel, like, you know, uh, the, the, the horror of Pine I- Island Bay, you know. <laughs> one of those mystery novels. Scientists say skyscraper-sized shards of ice could rapidly break off Pine Island Bay glaciers and crumble into the sea. The results, quote, a global catastrophe the likes of which we've never seen. So that's, it's important to point out that that's a quote. <laughs> you know, it's th- something they're actually saying. Such a rapid collapse of Antarctica's glaciers could raise sea levels much more quickly than we thought, flooding the world's coastlines and imperiling cities around the world. Now, on, on gris.org, there's a full-length article that's been getting a lot of, um, lot of press in other outlets, too. So it's, uh, here are a few highlights. Instead of a three-foot increase in ocean levels by the end of the century, six feet was more likely, according to the study by DeCanto De and Pollard. But if carbon emissions continue to track on something resembling a worst-case scenario, which we're still currently sort of on with our emissions, the full 11 feet of ice locked into West Antarctica might be freed up, their study showed. Three feet of sea level rise would be bad, leading to more frequent flooding of U.S. cities such as New Orleans, Houston, New York, and Miami. Pacific Island nations like Marshall Islands would lose most of their territory. Unfortunately, it now seems like three feet is possible only under the rosiest of scenarios. At six feet, though, around 12 million people in the United States would be displaced. That's a huge number of people. Like, imagine just, I don't know, the entire Chicagoland area is just suddenly displaced and has to find new homes. Uh, And the world's most vulnerable megacities like Shanghai, Mumbai, and Ho Chi Minh City could be wiped off the map. So there could be even bigger consequences in other parts of the world. At 11, uh, let's see, at 11 feet, land currently inhabited by hundreds of millions of people worldwide would wind up underwater. South Florida would be uninhabitable. Floods on the scale of Hurricane Sandy would strike twice per month in New York and New Jersey, as the tug of the moon alone would be enough to send tidewaters into the homes and buildings. So there's a recurring theme throughout these scientists' findings in Antarctica. What we do now will will determine how quickly Pine Island and Thwaites glaciers collapse. A fast transition away from fossil fuels in the next few decades could be enough to put off rapid sea level rise for centuries. That's a decision worth countless trillions of dollars and millions of lives. And now in other dire news, monster heat wave reaches Greenland. In case you didn't know, Greenland's the one that's mostly ice and only has a little green. Yeah. Bringing rain and melting its ice sheet. It's been unusually warm in the United States in recent days, with records being set across the country. But it's been scorching in Greenland, with temperatures as much as 54 degrees above normal. Yeah. Which means above freezing in many places. And this comes on the heels of new research from NASA's aptly named Oceans Melting Greenland. OMG. Uh, OMG. <laughs> it's just like mission. I, I love the acronym. Somebody there's got a sense of humor. The OMG mission, which finds that enormous ice sheet is far more unstable than re- we realized. 
That's bad news because the Greenland ice sheet contains enough landlocked ice to raise sea levels by over 20 feet. That's. Let me do a little editorial. If the o- ice is floating in the water, it's already displaced it. But it's if it's floating on floating, if it's on land and then it melts and goes into the ocean, it will raise sea levels. The heat wave began out west last week with large parts of California sweltering in the 90s. As but one example, the National Weather Service Los Angeles tweeted on November 22nd that the 99 degree... Wait a second. November 22nd and it was 99 degrees at the Camarilla Airport in Ventura County not only broke the record for that day, but broke the record for any day that month. The heat wave moved east after Thanksgiving and by Tuesday was blanketing much of the country. As meteorologist and grist writer Eric Holtis pointed out on Twitter, In late November, a major heat wave is a welcome event in large parts of the country, with temperatures in the 60s in large swaths of the south and with Minneapolis hitting the lower, the, the upper 40s. But in a place like Greenland, a monster heat wave this time of the year pushes temperatures above freezing. It hit the upper 30s in many coastal towns with rain forecast in some, which means actual melting over parts of the great ice sheet that should be adding ice right now, not losing it. The bottom line is that over half of the entire ice sheet may be at risk from this underwater melting. We know that global warming is leading to more of the kind of monster heat waves that intensify and extend the surface melt season on Greenland, the kind it is now experiencing. But we are learning that global warming poses a potentially larger risk to underwater melt from warming ocean waters. The more we learn about climate change and the threat it poses, the more urgent aggressive action to slash carbon pollution becomes. Yeah, so that's bad news for the ice there. If it's getting thawing on the top of the ice and on the bottom of the ice, it's getting it from both directions. And it's it is important to note the whole going over the freezing point part because, you know, if Greenland is fifty degrees warmer than it's usual and it's still say ten degrees below freezing, then you're not going to get much melting. But once it crosses over that threshold and starts melting, it's a huge difference in what's usually going on this time of year. Well, but this may be the new normal. So in other news, this is an interesting one. Moody's warns cities to address climate risk or face downgrades. Coastal communities... Who is this Moody's? <laughs> they're like, in a moody mood. <laughs> just like... Big, big financial institution. A lot of finance people will recognize the name. Coastal communities, which I'm sure our listeners are all composed primarily of big financial movers and shakers. Or people who live on the coasts. Yeah, or people who live on the coasts. <laughs> so pay attention. This applies to you. Yeah, this is our entire audience right here. Coastal communities from Maine to California have been put on notice from one of the top credit rating agencies. Start preparing for climate change or risk losing access to cheap credit. In a report to its clients on Tuesday, Moody's Investor Service Incorporated explained how it incorporates climate change into credit rating for state and local bonds. If cities and states don't deal with risks from surging seas or intense storms, they are at greater risk of default. Quote, What we want people to realize is, if you're exposed, we know that. 
We're going to ask questions about what you're doing to mitigate that exposure, said Lenny Jones, a managing director at Moody, said in a phone interview. That's taken into your credit ratings, end quote. In its report, Moody's lists six indicators that it uses to, quote, to access the exposure and overall susceptibility of U.S. states to the physical effects of climate change, end quote. They include, they include the share of economic activity that comes from coastal areas, hurricane and extreme weather damage as a share of the economy, and the share of homes in a floodplain. Based on these overall risks, Texas, Florida, Georgia, and Mississippi are among the states most at risk from climate change. Moody's didn't identify which cities or municipalities are most exposed. Yeah. Well, this is, you know, I, I tend to associate credits problems with individuals, <laughs> you know. But if a whole state makes bad decisions that places its finances in jeopardy, then their credit rating is going to go down, too. We noticed that in Illinois, when Illinois was going to have its credit rating downgraded and uh, climate inaction. I don't know if Illinois can go any lower. <laughs> yeah. It's like, so, um, but let's try. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll set a new record. All right, so in other news, uh, where did it go? Here it is. 5,500 U.S. schools use solar power, and that's growing as costs fall, study shows. In a field behind an elementary school in rural Middlesex County, Virginia, near the Chesapeake Bay, an ambitious plan has been taking shape. School superintendent Peter Gretz and other local administrators are preparing to power their school district with solar energy. By next August, Virginia-based solar developer SunTribe Solar expects to have an array of solar panels in place in that field that can generate enough electricity to power the county's elementary school and middle school at a price well below their current electricity costs, while offering students, teachers, and the community a way to learn about clean energy. So they get the energy, and it's cheaper than what they're paying now, and the students get to learn. That sounds like such a great deal. We felt it was important work for our kids, and we wanted them to see the community leading in a way that was responsible and sustainable, as well as fiscally responsible and efficient, Gretz said. The number of schools powered by solar is growing quickly. About 5% of all K-12 U.S. schools are now powered by the sun, and their solar capacity has almost doubled in the last three years, according to a new study by the Solar Energy Industries Association, SEIA, the Solar Foundation, and Generation 180, a clean energy nonprofit. The nearly 5,500 schools using solar power today have a total of 910 megawatts of solar capacity. That's enough to power 190 homes, 190,000 homes, uh, the study said. The biggest reason for the surge is the economic benefits of solar energy. Drastic declines in price have made it financially viable for schools. Both public and private schools are reducing their electricity bills with solar, leaving them more money to spend on education, according to the research. Many are also incorporating renewable energy into their science, technology, engineering and math lessons that's i mean that's one of the great parts of it to me too is that they're not just doing a good thing for their bottom line and for the environment they get to educate the next generation about solar mirroring the overall solar landscape california has the most school installations with nearly two thousand schools that use solar power 
Nevada has the highest adoption rate. 23% of schools are now using solar energy. New Jersey, Arizona, Massachusetts, and New York, other states with solar-friendly policies and a rapidly growing solar base, also have high adoption rates, according to the study. Quote, people are excited about the environmental benefits, the curriculum development, but what has moved the needle is economics, said Devin Welch, Vice President of Business Development for SunTribe. It has really changed the narrative completely. Yeah, and that's, I mean, for better or worse, it's good that that is deciding things now because solar has always been an educational opportunity for students. You know, they could have put it in for educational purposes 20 years ago, but now that the economics have improved, a lot of schools are doing it. And primarily this program is talking about, you know, powering the whole school, but there's also the whole educational component. The Illinois Solar Schools program teaches the value of renewable energy and energy efficiency to K through 12 students. If you go to IllinoisSolarSchools.org, the Illinois Solar Schools program promotes the installation of a one kilowatt, which is a four uh, panel system. Although each system is relatively small, students see firsthand on a daily basis how sunlight is converted to electricity. Schools and other educational institutes reduce their electricity consumption by using a clean renewable fuel that is free. To enhance the educational value of the system, online monitoring to provide real-time data on the amount of electricity generated is included in the grant. Well, why am I reading that? The grant is due February. Mm-hmm, yeah. So if you know of a school who wants a free, small solar system, it is a working solar system, but its primary focus is, of course, education. Yeah. Go to IllinoisSolarSchools.org. Since the Solar Schools program launched in Illinois in 2006, they have awarded over $5 million in grants to over 400 schools to support the installation of one-kilowatt solar systems. And they're really focused this year on trying to get some in southern Illinois. Yeah. We have, um, I want to say, about a dozen of them south of Springfield, and they want to change that. So go to IllinoisSolarSchools.org and... Get your school involved. Yeah, and it really adds up in a good way because even if each individual school just has one kilowatt, you add them up and it's a great deal of savings and education going on. In other news, Community Solar heads, well, this one's specifically New York, but it heads all over the place. But let's talk about New York. When you look across New York City from the top of the Empire State Building, thousands of empty rooftops come into view. They could be ripe for solar panels, but the overwhelming majority of residents and business owners inside are renters with no control over those sunny patches of real estate. The city's public housing authority, the largest public housing landlord in the United States, recognizes the potential, and it has a plan to put hundreds of those rooftops to work. In January, The authority will start reviewing bids for phase one of a project to increase the amount of solar power generated in the city. It's a small step, but one that could grow the market for urban solar power. The goal is to install 25 megawatts of solar panels atop the city's public housing buildings, enough capacity to power 6,600 households as part of the New York City's 100% renewable energy commitment. 
There's one catch. The New York City Public Housing Authority can't directly use that power. It already has a deal with the electric utility Con Edison. Instead, the authority plans to lease its rooftops for community solar projects. Now, this is an arrangement that allows companies to install solar panels in one location and sell the energy to customers who can't install their own. Quote, Our goal is to help solar power be accessible by anyone in New York City, which is not the case currently, said Debu Borat Kamgulham, a senior program manager for energy and sustainability at the New York City Public Housing Authority. By expanding the use of rooftop solar, New York City would not only reduce its carbon footprint, the city has a goal to cut emissions by 80% by 2050, and buildings are its largest source of greenhouse gases, but also create renewable energy jobs for low-income residents and connect more communities to cleaner, cheaper power. Solstice, a company that connects customers to community solar projects, says projects like this can start to reach a massive gap in the solar market. The 77% of Americans who cannot access rooftop solar because they have a shaded roof, rent their property, or have low income or credit history that prevents them from outright purchasing panels. Quote, Many people are skeptical of the idea of community solar because it sounds too good to be true. You're saving money and you're switching to clean energy without having to put anything on your roof, said Kelly Rochi, Senior Program Manager for Solstice. We get people to come learn about how that works through relationship and trust building. We're peeling back the layers to see what prevented them from accessing it, end quote. Now, the exciting thing about community solar, it is now allowed legally in the state of Illinois. Yeah. And so we're going to have a lot of community solar projects being put in. Yeah. I mean, l- large scale fields, and then you can buy one. You can buy one solar panel for your one, you know, friend or family member or yourself. Yeah. Or you can buy 10, depending on how many shares you want to buy in a community solar project. Yeah. Maybe that'll become the latest holiday gift <laughs> for people to give. So in holidays, we're talking about holiday gifts. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be fun, actually, you know, to be able to buy someone a solar panel. Yeah. I, I see in the future they have the current, you know, energy assistance programs where they help you if you get bought behind in your electric bill. But that's a one-time payment. Instead of giving you a one-time payment, you know, to help you pay your electric bill once... I see that program, you know, buying you a solar module and then it produces power for the next 25, 30 years, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, I wonder if there's a way to do that for a whole community. You know, say, like we know that there are dozens of people in this community who are needing this assistance. Let's put that into solar, uh, community solar for that community and then give it to them. Well, I mean, just think about any nonprofit that's having hardships and that's pretty much all of them. Instead of, you know, giving them money for operations, you can give them money to put a solar panel, and then that helps them forever, basically. The gift that keeps on giving. There you go. All right, so some holidays coming up. Today is Eat a Red Apple Day. 
Um, I think we've already started on that. My, my daughter Bedelia loves apples. It's also World AIDS Awareness Day, and Saturday is National Fritters Day. Do you know what a fritter is? What is a fritter? I don't actually know. I think it's is. just a piece of fried dough. Yeah. I mean, at least in the South, that's what it is. It's like, you know, it's it's like a donut, but it's not in donut shape. Yeah. I mean, I kind of know. I don't know exactly. <laughs> no, well, maybe we'll find out. People on can correct me. The only one I ever had that I really liked was apple fritters. Yeah. And it was just apples chopped up in yeah. dough, and you fry it. And so it's not... It's not like a pancake because it's not thin. It's like, and it's not like apple bread because it's not a loaf. It's a fritter. So, Sunday is National Roof Over Your Head Day. If you have one of those, I think you should spend the time on Sunday to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Coming up, wear brown shoes day. Ooh, bathtub party day. That's also the day of the repeal day. The 21st Amendment ends prohibition. So maybe that's why the bathtub party happened, because, you know, people got a little, you know, celebratory in their end of prohibition. Who knows? Those are probably related, and uh, I'll drink to that. (laughs) Let's see. St. Nicholas Day is coming up. Uh, Mitten Tree Day. Put your own shoes on day. (laughs) And a letter writing day. So whether it's a writing a letter to your uh, your friends and family or writing a letter to your representative about some climate change or important other political issues, it's letter writing day on Thursday. I mean, December is write a friend month. And I used to, like when I grew up, I had a lot of pen pals. It was really, really fun. And I realized I haven't written or received a letter for a while. Yeah. Now I did sign up for this website called Post Crossing. Basically, for every postcard you send, you'll receive a random one. Mm. And I think you can have as many as, like, six out there. And, you know, so you can send six cards, and then you'll receive, I mean, from all Mm. over the world. Yeah. And so they're beautiful on one side, and then, you know, have a little tidbit of written stuff on the other side. Yeah. And so... So it's almost like traveling the world, but through your mailbox. It is. Very fun. Yep. Um, so speaking of fun, we have some fun happenings we've got a minute or two for. Opening day of the Carbondale Farmer's Market is coming up on Saturday. Well, the indoor farmer's market. Yes, the indoor one. Yep. <laughs> it's finally back. It's back 9 a.m. to noon at Carbondale Community High School. It's the first day of the indoor winter farmer's season. Yep. That's nice because it's supposed to be getting cold. Yeah. Peace Coalition, Peace and Justice Vigilance solidarity with immigrants support the dream act saturday december 2nd at noon the corner of illinois avenue and main street the peace coalition joins with the southern illinois immigrations rights project to speak forcefully for quick enactment of a clean dream act in support of the emergency created to rescind the deferred action for childhood arrivals or the daca program Yes, and that's Saturday at noon over at Town Square Pavilion. And also coming up, the we have the SIU Microbiology Students Organization is doing lots of DNA over at the Science Center. Saturday, 12 to 2 p.m., 
let's say, activities that include extracting DNA from a banana. You can see how close you are to it. Yeah. <laughs> Just like... Yeah, that's exciting. I've never extracted DNA from anything, unless you count, you know, pulling a hair off of something, not being able to see the DNA. Mm. Uh, and using pipettes and test tube racks to study DNA. So that's Science Center, noon to two on Saturday. Black Snakes, let's see, Black Snakes kills a film screening Saturday, 7 to 10 p.m. at the Flyover Social Center. Hang out with our local water protectors in Black Snakes Killza to watch Unicorn Rides, Black Snakes Kills, and No Dapple Story. In Black Snakes Killza, Unicorn Riot brings you the raw experience from many frontline actions throughout the struggle to protect the water. Although the DACA access pipeline is completed, the impact of the movement will be long-lasting. As fossil fuel attraction projects continue to impact some of the most vulnerable communities throughout the United States, the importance of water protector story grows. All right. And also, it came to pass not to stay. An MFA exhibition closing reception, Saturday, 7.30 to 10 p.m. at the Bucky Fuller Dome Home, 407 South Forest. An evening of art installations, video projections,